Uh, yeah. Tell us about your travels. Oh, uh, I was in LA for a minute. I, I love it down there. You know, it's part of me wants to actually move down there just because rent's cheaper, yeah. which we will get into. We will be talking about that today, rent um, in the SF. And, you know, it's always sunny. And I have like a whole posse of friends down there that do work in the movie industry. So, Whoa. yeah. So, I mean, what, it's so just, did you did you did you do extra work or did you what did you get to do? I didn't. You know what? I just basically I, you, I, I should have did some stand up. Yeah. I didn't because I was kind of intimidated. Um, but I, the next time I go down there, I will. I mean, I was just, you know, meeting up with friends and catching up. And, yeah. Having a fun you know, time. Having, having a fun vacation. time. Yeah. And, you know, my friend was telling me some great places to go to, you know, um, on the weekdays, you know, if you ever want to perform. And like she tells me, she told me about this place, um, right, um, where uh, Jeff Goldblum always performs every Wednesday night. And I'm like, oh shit, I need to come here on the Jeff Wednesday. Jeff Goldblum, I love Jeff Goldblum. I do too. He's hot. Dude. What does he do? He um he kind of does comedy and piano and you know he does it um like ever like I think twice a month on a Wednesday. Wow. Yeah. So I'm just like, oh shit, that's awesome. I mean, it's just, you know, everyone talks shit about LA, you know, but there's cool stuff down there. There's cool stuff. And I think, you know, especially the stuff that you do, Pam, I mean, I think there's a lot more opportunity and you're actually good at making friends and enemies. And enemies. Yeah. <laughs> you absolutely. know, so I've never, you know, I've, I've never done LA. I've never like, I mean, I've been there obviously, but I've never done comedy there. And, um, I think you should. Well, thanks. I, but I, I'd never, I would never make the move down there. I know a lot of people from San Francisco, um, the comedy scene here, they make the move down to L.A., like Matt Lieb and uh, Kate Willett and Caitlin Gill. They, they feel like they reach the, the sort of the pinnacle of what can happen here in San Francisco, and then they run off to get famous and yeah. whatnot. But, I mean, I just don't think I can handle L.A. because... I, I mean, why. it's the simple reason that I just don't put myself together. Like, if I was to move to L.A., I'd have to um, stop having an eight-year-old cut my hair. <laughs> I'd have to dye it. I actually thought about dyeing my hair the other day really? and going and get a professional haircut. I thought about it, and then I was like, ah, oh, fuck it. I don't even... The upkeep of people in L.A. is like... It's there, a lot. It, it's, it is a lot, but then again, you know, where I was, I was like in, you know, I... I like to be around like, you know, the people that are like, you know, decent, you know, I don't like all that fake silicone bullshit, right, right. you know, and the, the, the thing is LA is a big place where you can avoid some of that, you know, pretentious bullshit. I mean, you have it here you though as here. well. Oh my God. This city is changing in the scariest way and not in a good way, not in a good way. And, um, LA is cheaper to live. It's, I mean, it's a much less expensive. It's cheaper to live. To live. The only down, the downfall is their public transportation does suck. Absolutely. Um, you do have to drive everywhere, and you will be spending the majority of your life maybe stuck in traffic. Right. Right. But. The fact of the matter is I can come home to a place that isn't a shithole and it's decent rent. Right. You know, that's, I mean, I, I would do that. Rent in San Francisco is insane. It's, it, it's, it's insane. I, I, I feel like I can never leave my rent controlled apartment. I, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't I do would that. never, I can't even. And I remember when I first got into this place and I was like, a thousand dollars a month that is really pushing the boundaries of my budget you know like that's really we're on the upper we're on the upper echelons of what i can afford 
and it was really hard. I mean, at that time when I was in graduate school, I, I didn't have like, I had some regular work, but not very much. And the majority of my money was made by taking my typewriter down to Civic Center. And I learned, I realized I had to make $40 a day in order to afford my apartment. If I didn't make $40 in like 20 days out of the week, wow. or 20 days out of the month, was it less than that? No, because it was 40 times 20, four times, and that's not even enough. It was more than that. It was 40 times 30, which is 1,200. Yeah, well, like, so for 28 days or whatever, I had to make, I'd make $40 a day. So I used to keep it on a calendar, like wow. how much I made that month, that day, and adding it to the total to make sure that I'd have my rent for that month. I mean, it was really stressful. And now, now I kind of have it more under control, but this, I, if I leave my apartment if for any reason, I have to leave San Francisco. That's yeah, it. That's, and I can never come back. You, you won't be able to afford to come back. No, no, no. The prices are insane. I mean, I, I people have heard they're like, oh, San Diego, they're like, oh my God, you pay a thousand a month. That's a lot of money. And I'm like <laughs> in San Francisco, it's nothing. Yeah. You want that. Yeah. You want a grand a month. Um, what's your year in rent control? No, my boyfriend owns his house. Oh, I see. But it's his house. I'm not married, so right, 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 right. If all falls apart, which it slightly is, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to leave the city. Which, where would you move? L.A. You moved to L.A. I would move. You wouldn't go to Oakland. No, I can't. Oakland's getting expensive. Um, San Francisco. I haven't haven't fallen in love with the city because I came here three years ago or going on three years and you know the people some of the people at the time interacting with the worst of San Francisco yeah I try not to I mean I'm here right so that's this is the positive side right (laughs) but you're when you're dealing with San Franciscans you're dealing with marina people yeah and I even I don't even want to call them San Francisco people. No, I'm those like, people are, are. And the thing is, even when I go to the mission, sometimes it's just like, like the other night I was at a Blackbird, uh, mm-hmm. and I was just like, this vibe here is just, it's not, it's something, something's rotten in Denmark, what it <laughs> felt like, you know? And it's just like, not, there's not a lot of friendly people here. Or if you're sitting at a bar by yourself, you know, no one wants to talk to you. Everyone's afraid to talk to you. Everyone's afraid of people here, which is so weird. I'm like, what the fuck are you so afraid of? You know, it, it's so, I don't know. I'm turned off. Maybe it's because it's just yeah. my Midwest self where we, you know, you can talk to people and say hello, you know, but people here, it's just, and I had more friendlier experiences in LA, believe it or not. Huh. It, yeah, you know, it's, I mean, it's not my first time going down there. I've always had a great time when I went down there. But the thing is, I can smell pretentious bullshit, too. Right. You know, so I clown anyone when I'm down there, you know. <laughs> like, you know what, get the fuck out of my face, this producer, model, singer thing. Right. right? You know, so. Did someone come up and start name dropping? or? Oh, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, whatever. Okay. Get me a drink, please. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks, thanks for buying yeah, me Thanks for the mammograms. <laughs> but like the rent here is, you know, now I like the fact that now we have to get really creative oh, about man. how to live in San Francisco. 
because you know we have people here that live on buses and vans right and, and which is pretty awesome uh we know some people that live on a bus and and they're lovely human beings and now there's this new thing and now there's this new thing this is insane this is an article <laughs> out of the sf gate uh and it came out today yet or actually uh, monday we works apartments of the future are officially open starting at $1,375 a month for a Murphy bed. Yeah, Murphy beds, the things that fold up and down, right? Oh my God. A company that made its name and 16 billion valuation by renting out shared workspaces now wants to do the same thing with dorm-like apartments. In WeWork's biggest gamble yet, uh, its co-living micro-apartment space, We Live, now opened its doors to New York residents on Monday. Oh, I thought this was in San Francisco. Well, uh, but it's, it's, well and WeWork is here in the city because I actually did a show there, um, and it was amazing, two Fridays ago um, with Hal Creo Burley. He put on a show at the WeWork space, and it was filled at like 120 people in the audience, and it was amazing. Nice. And, it, and it, they have these cute little... Like, it's like a group workspace. You share it. It's, it's a great idea. I mean, if you have a small business and you can't afford, you know, a storefront or whatever. Uh, individual Murphy beds that pull down into the living room behind a curtain or tiny alcoves in a wall start at 1375 a month. If you want more privacy, rooms start at 2000 The high price tag and $125 amenities fee helps support all the coffee, tea, and beer you can drink. According to We Live website. Oh my God. <laughs> so you're going to live in a dorm and you get all the beer you can drink. Jesus. I um, would become an alcoholic. That well, I continue my alcoholism there. Each, because really, I mean, as much as, well, I don't spend a lot on alcohol because people give me a lot of alcohol for free just That's good. because of just because of who I am and what I do. Um, but. I mean, free beer free all beer. the time. Oh, God. Each apartment or bed comes fully loaded with towels and linens. There's also a full-time community concierge and a housekeeping team. The laundry room has a ping-pong table and billiards, and the wellness room hosts yoga and bar classes. The fridge comes fully stocked with smart water, Pellegrino, oh and beer. God. No one said that city living was cheap, but WeWork is betting that its We Live spaces will start a new movement. They're perfect landing pads for people moving to a new city, looking for instant friends and not having any furniture. Whether those people stay and become WeWork members will be the crucial litmus test. If turnover is too high, it could start feeling more like a hotel and less like a communal neighborhood of friends, all with really tiny bedrooms. The month-to-month leases are great flexibility for his residents, but could be hard on WeWork's bottom line if it can't fill the Murphy beds fast enough. Fast enough. Currently, the company has two locations, one in New York and one in Crystal City, Virginia, near Washington, D.C. The Crystal City location is slightly cheaper, with beds starting at $1,000 and private rooms starting at $1,300, but it won't officially launch until May 1st. We Live's average apartment size is 450 square feet. The studio starts at $2,000 a month. 2000 That's still high, though. <laughs> Each apartment comes fully stocked with the basics for your kitchen. Everything is fully furnished down to the sheets on the bed, too. We Live's vibe ends up looking like an upscale, upscale Ikea. Well, the, the, the tiny rooms don't look so bad. I mean, 450 square feet is about what my apartment is, is, I think. Yeah. But 
two thousand dollars two thousand i mean i could see fifteen hundred or eighteen i'll give eighteen hundred but it's two thousand ah you might as well get an apartment i mean yeah well well that's the thing we're gonna look at the prices right now in san francisco i mean would you want to live in a communal space i mean it doesn't sound like a. I mean, it, three it beer. Sounds, I like. Yeah, that's see, that's the danger part for me. I'm like three beer and like it. They it looks cute and I love San Pellegrino. Yeah, oh, and if yeah. there's a community living space, then it. But the problem is, what if there's? I don't trust everybody. I don't though. trust everybody either. That's yeah. the thing. If you're in a communal living space and you don't have your own like locked area, it's just a bed that kind of folds down and. I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm a more of a stickler for my privacy. I prefer. Ditto. I mean, how do you have sex? It's loud and. Yeah, how, exactly. How and other people being loud. And <laughs> like how, that was my next question. Like, you know, what if you bring somebody home? Can't come to my communal living space. Right. You know, you know yeah. How am I supposed to fuck in this place? Well, that's the thing. You probably end up fucking your neighbors or your, your communal living partners <laughs> because everyone's drinking so much beer that you get wasted and you say, who's Murphy better? We sleeping on tonight. Yeah. And then that's when the drama begins. Right. 1,375 a month. Uh, that's pretty crazy. That's crazy. Tiny, tiny, tiny homes. Okay. So here's the map of San Francisco that KQED put up. And they didn't even represent Bayview or the sunset. And they did not. It's absolutely true. Uh, so it's it's been a while since we've posted a depressing map about how bad the Bay Area rental market has gotten. You might remember the one that charted where you could find an affordable one-bedroom alongside BART. Spoiler, basically nowhere. And there was also one about San Francisco, Oakland, and San Jose being the top three worst cities for renting, renters. Not to be outdone by the report that said you'll never own a home in the Bay Area. And now we think we can add another depressing map to the mix. (laughs) Trulia, a real estate listing service, crunched some numbers and put all their upsetting findings into a fun interactive map. San Francisco, not surprisingly, is at the top of the list of U.S. cities with horrifyingly high rent prices. According to Trulia, the median rent for a one-bedroom in San Francisco is $3,200. And the most expensive neighborhood to live in is Fisherman's Wharf. There's no accounting for taste. Click around on the map if you can stomach it. Okay, here we go. <laughs> so, Why would I want to live near Fisherman's Wharf anyway? <laughs> so first, let's look here um, in my neighborhood, okay? The Loin. The Loin, all right? So um, 80% of one bedrooms are above $2,000. 39% of one bedrooms are above $2,500. And 28% are above $3,000. That's in the Tenderloin. This morning at four in the morning, there was a guy screaming on the street about, I mean, it, it changes every time. I just love it when they're like, God, why me? And I'm like, cause you do heroin. Okay. Because crack is whack, my friend. And you're Can still you, doing it. You're still doing it. I mean, we're, I am in a, I am in a shitty, I am in a literally shitty neighborhood. I play the manor beast game with the children. You see a pile on the ground and you say manor beast, manor beast. Yes. And if it's up against a wall, it's always man. I learned that from a four-year-old. But I mean, and if it's liquid, that's the thing. Oh God. Dogs have hard poops. People in the tenderloin, not so hard. Oh my God. Spraying, splashing. I saw a guy in front of the, the I have a 27 bus stop at Leavenworth and Geary. And uh, he was trying to poop into a cup, which was nice because he was trying, trying to get it into a to cup, it. but it was all liquidous and it was getting everywhere. It was on his hand. Ooh. It was 
on the outside of the cup. It was like all on the ground. And I was sitting there just watching like, this is San Francisco. <laughs> this is where you pay rent. This is where you pay. Okay, so that in that neighborhood. Let's Jeez. let's go to, that, that's, in the, that's in the green section. So let's go to the one of the red sections. Oh, I don't know. How about the mission? Yeah. Okay, here we go. In the mission. 98% of one bedrooms are above $2,000. 96% of one bedrooms are above $2,500, which tells you that 2% are in between $2,500 and $2,000. And 79% of one bedrooms are above $3,000. That's in this neighborhood. That's 75%? right around here. 79%. 79% of one bedrooms are above $3,000 a month. In this neighborhood, because everybody wants to live in the mission. Remember when? Um, remember when this was a gang area that no one wanted to be a part of? That was like seven, eight years ago. Okay, here's Potrero Hill. Ninety-eight percent of one bedrooms are above two thousand. Ninety-seven percent are above twenty-five hundred, and seventy-two percent are above three thousand. Let's look for somewhere. Oh, Twin Peaks seems a little bit more. Um, no, it's still not. 96% of one bedrooms are above. This is in a green area where it's supposed to be less expensive. 96% of one bedrooms are above $2,000. 74% of one bedrooms are above $2,500. And 43% are above $3,000. So, wow, wow, what a deal, you know? You can. In Twin Peaks, really? Yeah. Huh. This is, I mean, this is this is crazy. Pick a neighborhood and we'll we'll get depressed about it. I, I'm, so, I'm mad my neighborhood's not on there. Yeah, that's, yeah, they I'm, didn't even show the, the Bayview. Bay, because that's actually the last area um, of San Francisco that has decent rent. Like, why can't, I don't understand, why can't San Francisco accept that fact that Bayview is part of SF? And it absolutely and is. And it's, it's, it's up and coming, and there's new businesses, you know, coming around. And people, I mean, it's the last place for cheap rent. This is Telegraph Hill. 100% of one bedrooms are above $2,000. There is nothing in Telegraph Hill for under $2,000. 97% of one bedrooms are above $2,500, and 70% are above $3,000. Jesus. Wow. Pack Heights, 74% above $3,000. Uh, Cow Hollow, 69% above $3,000. You know it. Marina, 68% above $3,000. Uh, Central Sunset. Oh, there, here we go, finally. Central Sunset. 67% of one-bedrooms are above 2,000. 50% of one-bedrooms are above 2,500. And 8% of one-bedrooms are above 3,000. So that's oh. a little more affordable. Yeah. And then here in Outer Richmond, 91% of one-bedrooms are above 2,000. 48% of one-bedrooms are above 2,500. And 13% are over 3,000. Hmm. You can't move here. You <laughs> $2,000 a month for rent. You can't even find something? That means that you need to be making... A, I mean, you if you're not making $60,000, it's the same thing Ed Lee, or I've heard before, I don't know if it was Ed Lee, but they said, if you don't make $60,000 a year, we don't want you here. You can't live here. Yeah. Shit, you have to make at least a hundred grand in order to like survive here. It's this is insane. I mean, Noe Valley, you'd expect it. So there's certain areas where I'm like, right. all right. But I mean... The hate. 100% of bedrooms 
uh, of one bedrooms are above two thousand dollars. Eighty-five percent are above twenty-five hundred. This is a one bedroom. One so that bedroom. means that you'd have to be. It means that they're pushing people being in relationships, I guess, because you'd move into a one bedroom. In the bedroom, there'd be two people sleeping there. It's not like you can like have a girlfriend and like, hey, we're have we work at the same job and we're gonna no. live. We're gonna. You can't have roommates unless you have a bunk bed. Here's a ridiculous thing. You can't live in the city if you're in any industry other than tech now. So all the service industry and all the people that are serving the tech assholes have to live outside of it. Even the teachers now cannot afford to live in San Francisco. No. If you're a teacher teaching in San Francisco and you can't afford to live here, you have to live in Richmond to come teach in San Francisco. Something's wrong with that. Something is fundamentally wrong. I agree. With people who are working. You should be able to live in the city you work in. You shouldn't have to commute for for a, for a a like a service job. That's insane. And this is why I'm like... I, I do like the fact that there is new building, but is it affordable new building? No, it's not. No, let's and look at Mission Bay. Mission Bay is all new buildings, it's right? It's all new buildings. And 90% of one bedrooms are above 2,000, 82% above 2,500, and 61% above 3,000. And that's all new buildings. What about Soma? Same thing in Soma. 98% are above 2,000, 93% are above 2,500, and 63% are above 3,000. And that's all new stuff. And that's a shitty neighborhood, too. It's, it's, uh, this, see, this is why I, my love affair of San Francisco has not happened. I can't, I, economically, I can't, I can't be in love with this place. I, and I feel the same way. I mean, our rent was just raised here on this space. And, um, and my, I mean, I'm a, I, I what are we, what are we going to do? If, if I lost my apartment, I, I would have, I couldn't live. Anyways, this is very, very depressing that what's happening to the city and the prices just keep going up and up i mean that would be that we work that we live space they better get in here mighty quick because they're the only thing they're the that's only true. thing that's true i mean because none of this says below two thousand dollars there's nothing that says zero percent i mean that's the graph we're looking at right here is that zero percent of one bedroom apartments in san francisco are below two thousand dollars i know um since my boyfriend he does own his uh well not yet he pays a mortgage but we do have uh, a person living below uh-huh. and everything's rehab and everything's brand new she her rent we charge her only 1600 1650 a month which is decent you know yes yeah. i mean for san francisco that is right right uh, we already know that you'll never own a home in San Francisco, and renting a one-bedroom anywhere in the Bay Area is increasingly becoming unrealistic for most people. But you'd think we'd use this kind of—we'd be used to this kind of news by now. But it's still shocking every time a new report surfaces with more bad tidings. Take the new list from Forbes, which ranks the best and worst cities for renters. It's no surprise that San Francisco is considered the worst in the country. Yeah. What's a bit more surprising is that Oakland is second worst, and San Jose was able to snatch third place wow. from notorious unaffordable New York City. Over the past year, vacancy rates for all three cities are under 4%, and rental costs have surged 12.8% in SF, 10.5% in Oakland, and 11.3% in San Jose. Will the bubble ever burst? Are we destined to be priced out? Sing- singing a bitter elegy of our former ho- hometowns on the way out. Jesus. I mean... We're the three worst. (laughs) San Francisco, Oakland, and San Jose. (laughs) One, two, three. Here we go. There's another map. Where can you find an affordable one-bedroom near BART? Nowhere. 
Okay, this is the whole area. Let's start up by Richmond. In Richmond, a one-bedroom is $1,150. Hey, that's affordable, except that you have to live with gun-toting weirdos and drug addicts (laughs) who are going to murder you in your sleep. It's Richmond, people. (laughs) It's fucking Richmond. (laughs) Gentrify it so people can stop dying. El Cerrito Norte, $1,517. And El Cerrito Plaza, $1,650. I like it out in El Cerrito. Berkeley. Berkeley's fucked. Oh, Berkeley. Berkeley mm. is uh, a one bedroom is going for 2050 Downtown Berkeley, 2050 Well, jo- Jonathan, he needs to rent his apartment for a lot of money. At Ashby, where he lives, 1795 for Ooh, a one bedroom. You said 1000 Mm-hmm. I've never heard of that number before. 1795 I know Jonathan's going to, he was going to rent his place for like a thousand bucks. I'm like, dude, you can get twice that. Yeah. What are you doing? Um... Let's look, uh, I mean, all the way out at Pittsburgh Bay Point, $1,495. That's uh, our commute. That's, yeah. Out in um, out in Dublin, $1,900. Ain't shit out there. Bayfair is only $1,199. But who wants to live in Bayfair? Coliseum, $1,458. I don't want to live near... Fruitvale, $2,300. Really? Fruit... Uh, we know about Vale. that station. Yeah. Mm. Lake Merritt, 2,301. I mean, this is impossible. West Oakland. West Oakland, 2,150. West, West Oakland. Oakland. Okay, let's get depressing. Let's get into the, the city itself. Oh, I mean, and down in even uh, Hayward, 1,150. Hayward's a cute little town, actually, so that's kind of affordable. South Hayward, 1,100. Okay. But, ooh, it's, I mean, if you're commuting into the city, I guess. Okay. Uh, in the city proper, Embarcadero, 3,548. Montgomery, 3,490. Powell, 3,348. Civic Center, 3,267. That's, I mean, I live right in between. I'm, I'm five blocks from Powell and five blocks from Civic Center, so. Who would want to live, like, on Powell anyway? Well, it's just that area by, it, it's not bad. It's, I mean, it's. It's too congested for me. Yeah, it's, I like it's this downtown. Kind of, it's downtown, yeah. that's for sure. I like the neighborhoody feel. 16th Street, 3050 bucks. 24th Street, 2750 Glen Park, 1746 Oh. Hmm. Balboa, 2295 Daly City, 1195 Uh, It's not news to anyone that San Francisco has become insanely expensive. Every weekend is a going-away party for someone moving to more affordable <laughs> pastures, like Austin, New Orleans, or Mom's Basement. But why move away when you can find an affordable, sun-filled apartment with a yard in Oakland, you ask? Based on this map put together by Radpad, the dream of just moving across the bay is also becoming less and less possible. Mm-hmm. As the mass SFX... SF Exodus has impacted rent all along BART lines around the Bay Area. To make bad news easier to swallow, Radpad has couched the depressing rent prices for a one-bedroom on a beautiful map. And we just went through that. So, um, so if anyone dreams of coming to San Francisco, let's shatter them right now. Yeah, don't do it. Just don't. It's don't just, come here. Don't, don't, Stop. <laughs> Stop coming here, okay? Stop coming, you guys. Stop working for Dropbox and Twitter. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, it, it's... It, the, uh, I'm not even going to blame all the tech industry. I uh, I have to blame the financial industry as well. And, you know, we do have, like, our little mini financial industry here because of, like, the tech business and what have you. But I think also... Some of the landlords have, I mean, they see, they see nothing but dollar signs, which I get it. 
I get it. You 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 have to make money. I understand that. But this is just ridiculous. This is insane. It's, here's here's the new thing. New homes in San Francisco from the low one millions. Then they're talking about one bedroom apartments. <laughs> new one bedrooms from a million dollars. A one bedroom for a million. <laughs> get your home in San crack? Francisco. I oh, mean, it's, it's a bad investment. Even if I had that money, it's a why? Why okay. the hell? So here's what happens now: number of square feet per million dollars. Okay. Oh, in San Francisco, for a million dollars, you can get fifteen hundred square feet. That's what they're saying. This is like the average. Do you dream of owning a cute nest in San Francisco that's big enough for the family you're still unsure if you want to have? Or maybe at least a puppy. Maybe this dream pad of yours also has a hammock in the backyard and a front porch where you'll drink lemonade. Yeah, that's not going to happen, according to Business <laughs> Insider. They've compiled information on just how much space one million will get you in each of the major cities. San Francisco leads the pack, and it wasn't even close. You can get 500 plus more square feet in the second place finisher, Boston. Check out the analysis of the results and how much how much space your money will fetch overseas below. And in case this report bummed you out, uh, maybe this will make you feel better. Uh, so here we go. This is the for number of square feet per million dollars. San Francisco, 1,500. Boston, uh, just over 2,000. Washington, D.C., do you think maybe? No, no, it's, it's a city. Okay, DC. so it's got to be Washington, D.C. 2,200. Uh, 2, New York, uh, t- about 2,400. Los Angeles, 20, about 2,300, 2, San Diego, 2,800. Long Beach, tw- 2,900. Oakland, uh, 3,400. Seattle, 3,400. Denver, 5,000. Austin, a little over 5,000. Miami, 5,200. And Portland, 5,300. 5,300 is a lot of square feet. Yeah. Um, I used to have a 1,500-square-foot home in um, San Diego, and we bought it at the height of the market in 2001, 2002, and it was $625,000. But we had a huge backyard, too. It was up against a canyon. It was really beautiful. We had a rooftop deck. Oh, wow. That sounds really nice. It was really nice. Um, so you got your money's worth. That's the thing. I, I mean, what does it even mean anymore? I, I, I don't even understand how loans work and debt anymore. I just, I don't even, uh, it's... Money's worth six hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. That was a lot of money for our house, but I guess now that's like nothing. Yeah, now I mean, realistically, it's just like if. Well, well we, we're getting used to sixteen dollars for a grilled cheese sandwich. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we're getting used to a fried chicken sandwich for seventeen to eighteen dollars. We're just sort of getting used to this. Twelve-dollar cocktails. Twelve-dollar cocktails. We're just getting used to it. Right. When say. 10, 15 years ago, it was just like, wow, that's a lot of money. I'm not paying for it. But now it's just like, well, I mean, that's what it is. You but can't even find a burrito for five bucks. I remember burritos used to be five bucks and now they're like 10. A good burrito. A that. burrito. Yeah. <laughs> right. But, it, but the thing is like, of course, every year the cost of living goes up. That happens. But the sad thing is jobs haven't really changed either. I mean, yes, the unemployment rate has dropped, but I mean, we're still fighting to get like a decent minimum wage Right. and 15. And honestly, I remember reading a study a couple years back that, you know, yeah, it's good that we're getting the $15 minimum wage, but technically we should be at $23 
uh, for minimum wage to catch up with the cost of living, you know, and it's $15 living here in SF. I wish I could make $15 an hour. Some of my, this job, I only make $3 and 11 cents an hour. That's the thing. I have no idea how I'm surviving in this city as the prices like continue to climb. And I feel like it's the generosity of others yeah. basically is what keeps me alive in the city. And I guess the Friends good thing, bartenders. I, I think also the good thing is like, you know, you do have the SF, um, health, healthy San Francisco. Yeah. So. No, no, no. That's what, that's the only reason I can afford to live here is that I'm on Medi-Cal, um, that was originally healthy SF. And, uh, so I have great health. I can, you can go to the I ER. I can go to the e- I can go anywhere and it's all paid for. I mean, my abortion was paid for. I had cysts removed from my ovaries. That was taken care of. Like, pretty much, hopefully they're going to deal with my IBS. Oh, God. Oh, that's another fun. So, yeah, it's another. So uh, we're we're at the first, we're, we're through the first half hour of the AltaCast here. Again, I'm your host, Pam Benjamin. I'm joined by Latoria, the sheriff of Truth Win. We've been talking about... Uh, the exorbitant prices of rent in San Francisco and how incredibly depressing that is. Um, but it is a cool city that we live in, right? So yeah, I mean, it, it's better than living in Wichita, right? <laughs> I don't, I, I mean, can't imagine. And it's the, you know the the thing about this place. Here's the part of the love I like about SF is the fact that you do have the well, we did have the healthy San Francisco, and going outside the city is amazing. Yeah, you know, going outside to know that there's so much beauty once you step outside of the city. You know, you have the ocean and all the beaches and just you Napa. know. Napa. I went to Napa last week and that was amazing. Yeah, I mean, wine country right there. It was, really beautiful. You know, it was really expensive though too. I mean, they upcharge on food there like they they're not playing. They're not playing. They're not playing. I mean, I, I rented a cabin. Kidding. Uh, about uh, three weeks ago in Russian River, and that was fun, yeah. you know. So it's those are the things that I like about you know living here in the Bay Area and no fucking snow, yeah. no snow, <laughs> no, no snow. So uh, one of the cool things about living in the city is there's a lot of weird public art, <laughs> and um, there's a new thing happening right now: giant bunnies, a protected species at SF City Hall. So right now, if you go to City Hall, there's these enormous rabbits that are inflatable, that are just chilling. It's really actually quite adorable until you hear about what, how much it costs to have them there. Five big inflatable bunnies, some as large as 23 feet, have popped up in front of San Francisco's City Hall at night. They glow. It's all part of a public art installation called Intrude by Australian artist Amanda Perrer that runs through April 25th. The sheer contrast of these playful white rabbits with the Civic Center's stately Beau Art architecture is so unexpected that it's sure to delight all who pay the exceptional this exceptional installation a visit. City's director of cultural affairs, Tom DeCagney, said in a release announcing the bunnies' arrival. Just to be safe, the bunnies will get round across round the clock security babysitters the cost which DeCagney estimates at $34,000 will be paid out of a combination of city and private funds now this pisses me off now 
Where are our priorities here? Where are our, I mean, I love art, but why can't we fund Mutiny Radio? Uh, As our rent goes up and we have no recourse and we need money, the city can't fund us. You want some fucking Australian bunnies? Screw <laughs> Australians. Let's go with the San Franciscans. What about the people here in the city creating art what and are, starving for it? Give us $34,000. I think that $34,000 should go to fucking fixing Potrero right over here with Absolutely. all those potholes mm-hmm. and everything. The half-assed work that they do on these streets. I mean, mm-hmm. schools. I'm Books for schools. Well, I mean, I can keep going. Hey, right. all the shit in the tenderloin. Yeah. How about that? Right. You know? Right. It's, it's just... It, More public restrooms? Yes. It, it just... I'm, mm. How we're spending our funds. It's the same thing that the Super Bowl made me so angry is that they, there were millions of dollars that were spent to bring them here. And it's like, why can't we spend that money on our own people what I, in our own city? I, I understand the whole Super Bowl thing, but I, I want to know what we got out of it really in the long run. Yes, we hosted a Super Bowl. I get it. But I also feel, okay, so after the Super Bowl, let's take some of that money and fix these fucking streets. Right, absolutely. It's just, it's, it's, I mean, come on. $34,000 for some fucking, I want, you know what? I want to go over there and poke a hole in one of those bunnies. Oh, they have security. They won't let you. That's what the security's there for. Because someone wants to spray paint the bunnies. Oh, I want to spray paint the bunnies. I want to poke a hole in it. Poke the hole in the bunny. Yeah. They're gonna, they'll, they'll get you. They'll get pissed off at you. Uh, but this leads us to our next thing. San Francisco has a lot of public art all over the city. And um, that's a really cool thing. And there's this really great um, interactive map at sfpublicart.com where it's it just has, I mean, you can kind of, if you press all the buttons and have them all there, it's overwhelming. But I just have like the art here. So here's one of them. Um, this is, I clicked on the California Volunteers Spanish-American War 1889 by Douglas Tilden. It's in bronze. Nice. It's uh, in the mission. It's uh, right by, well, so I guess it's Market and Dolores. Okay, I know where that one is. It's just a bronze thingy. Uh, this is, uh, she has, this is an, uh, Emma Elizabeth, currently going through my photos in preparation for graduation, has stumbled upon these. I don't know what that's about. Uh, let's look down at the, oh, there's a frog uh, at, in Russian Hill. It's made of black granite. It's a sculpture mixed media. Uh, that's cool, in Russian Hill. I mean, it, there's just all co- kind of cool things you can click on. Large four-piece reclining figure by Henry Moore, made in bronze. It's a sculpture at uh, in Knob Hill. Cool. So there's this really like this cool map that just has all of these. Um, it, I guess these are just the, the the sculptures that are around. From the heart outwards by Vicky Ann Solis, cold cast bronze and aluminum, in the Castro Upper Market. Huh. Hmm. Yeah. A sailor and a mermaid, copper and bronze, in the outer sunset. Uh, let's see what else is cool. It's kind of, I wish they had like a list instead of you have to having to click. Click it. Yeah. Uh, Bay Bench by Steve Gilman. Sunset, red granite, and bronze, South of Market. That's cool. Anyway, so there's art here, which makes it cool, I suppose. But yeah, so there's down here. Oh, in the Bayview. Here we go. Uh, the title is Nadelba by Fran 
Martin, it's steel reinforced concrete, bronze, and granite in the Bayview. Yeah, location, city department, Griffith pump station. That's cool. Let's look at all the ones. Let's look at the ones that are in the Bayview. Um, this is the Gate F sculpture by Lee Kelly, Corten Steel in the Bayview. Oh, at the Candlestick Stadium. Yeah, I've seen that one. And this is St. Francis by Rook Waitfield Kravath. It's made out of concrete and it's at the Candlestick. Which doesn't exist I, it anymore. It doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> uh, this one is in, it says Visitation Valley. Street Life Rebar Group. Recycled parking meter heads, steel, and automotive paint. Nice. At uh, Leland and Bayshore. That's cool. There's another Bayshore one. So that's really cool that, you know, they're, they're not being guarded, though, for $34,000. For $34,000, <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, don't please don't go to face these either, but... Um, I mean that's neat. There's 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 public out in San Francisco, so I guess that's what we're paying so much money for. That's see now that's the question. Why is it so expensive to live here? Is it because we're just so fucking cool? Well, I think it's we're seven by seven, so we're small. So that and the fact of the matter that you know we do have a history, you know, of a lot of artists and writers. Um, we are a very political city as well. You know, we're very liberal, sometimes too liberal. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but there's also like the dark side of, and you know, the whole hippie thing, blah, blah, blah. I hate hippies. I know. I do um, but there's also the dark side of SF that we, you know, people are still are now actually getting, um, introduced to such as like, you know, the rent and, uh, the greed and how the people can be here a lot of mental illness yeah there's a lot of mental illness you know so you get used to seeing people just go cray cray out in the street it's just like oh it's just another day in sf it, honestly it, i've it's it's fun for me at this point i yeah i prefer though not to go to my window i like to just listen to it because <laughs> when i get out there and like actually watch them it's not as exciting as i want it to be <laughs> You're leaving it a little bit of imagination. Leaving a little bit of imagination, yeah. <laughs> I just want to see some people crying running down the street with no shoes. That'll make me But And also, to answer your question, you know, there's Silicon Valley. So, right. I mean, there's that. I mean, if you're in the tech business, you, you're, gonna, you're probably going to make it. Not everyone makes it. But, you know, I think that's, that is kind of cool. But, again, the dark side, greed. Yeah, because is that it? It's just that the landlords are like, we could make so much money. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Chandler Properties that owns my building wants to kick me out because they're like, ha 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 ha. We yeah, could exactly. we could sell their apartment. Let's let's look up on Craigslist real quickly and see see what see what's actually out there, um, and and what it, what it looks like because I'm. Th those were like median prices and what what have you, but oh, there is a, another cool thing about SF that I do like because I like my cities with a little bit of grip, but not too much. Mm -hmm. There's still hookers on the street. Oh yeah, interesting. That's there's still hoes on the street. I it's like why don't you those. use Craigslist? <laughs> uh, like what we're doing right now. This is insane. Pack Heights five bedroom five bath house with backyard and garage, twenty two thousand dollars a month. <laughs> 
might as well buy that son of a bitch. Right. Um, large one bedroom, twenty five hundred a month in the inner sunset, eight hundred square, eight hundred fifty square feet. They say large. Um, sunset Parkside, oh, multiple rooms for rent separately, one thousand to twelve hundred a piece. I mean, to spend a thousand dollars and have to have just a room, they show a picture of the kitchen. Like, oh, and you have to share the bathroom. Oh, so that one little room and sharing a bathroom, and it's in the sunset. I mean, this is crazy. Spacious one by one with balcony, walk in closet, and dishwasher. This is basically a studio. 750 uh, square foot studio for $25.99 a month in downtown Civic Center, Van Ness. So this is in T- Tenderloin, in my shitty neighborhood. Because you're going to step in some shit. You're going to step in some poop. It's, it's a studio for 2600 a month but 750 square feet oh take a look at this it's one big closet though <laughs> fifth floor one bedroom one bath combo washer dryer on ninth street 4500 a month for a one bedroom in soma 45 that's big though that's big that's but 45 you might as well buy that shit oh my god it's really big but 45 wow I, I just can't even, I just can't even believe. The thing is, like, if you are paying that much for rent, it's a bad investment. Right. It's just it's a bad, an, you're well, losing. Rent is an investment. It's not an investment. Yeah, I mean, you're losing money. Yeah. Whoa. 482 square feet in the financial district for 3445 bucks. <sighs> wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, this is... It's insane. Um, studio in Knob Hill. Studio. <laughs> 3125 a month. I, if I was trying to come to this city, I, I don't even know. Candlestick Point, two bedroom at 1,060 oh, square feet. Okay, that's not that bad. But you're in Candlestick you're all the way out there. You this know, is crazy. The sad thing is my cousin's actually trying to move here. To, um, to work at Berkeley and uh-huh. I kind of have been trying to tell her not to because she will be tutoring rich kids at Berkeley basically yeah um, and she will be making 50 about uh, 50 G's a year which is not enough to even survive really here you oh, know yeah and so I told her listen it's because they offered her a job and she's about to graduate from college and I said don't take the first offer because 50,000 in this town, you, it's, you're nothing. Not, it's nothing. And so I said, I will help you look for apartment, but it's going to be fucking hard. Yeah. Because I remember there was a time looking for an apartment was fun. Not this shit. Not, not. Mm. And it hasn't even, it wasn't even that long ago. I lived, I moved into my place uh, about six years ago now. And before that I lived in a, they like to call it a two bedroom, but it was actually a one bedroom that they put a door on like the living, one of the living spaces. So they turned it into a two bedroom, tiny, 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 tiny kitchen in between the two bedrooms, which were nice sized and little shared bathroom. And we were paying 1600 a month. Oh. And I was like, oh, $800 for a room. That's so expensive. <laughs> and now it's, no. it just doesn't even, that doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't exist. 
it doesn't you should exist. find out how much that place costs now right yeah well i know that my the place i live at um they're the same size apartment i'm rent out now uh if if i left it or my lease got broken or whatever they would they would bring the next person for in for 2500 to 3000 a month oh you know they would because of the because of the the location 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 location, location. is that what it's all about i guess it, it is. is it is a really nice day today though so yeah, but that's the problem is when you're charging people all this money for rent, you only have people that can afford that rent. And the thing is that most of those people are douche nozzles. They're just not. They're not nice. They're not nice. Well, they feel entitled because they make so much money and they spend so much money. So it gives them this attitude of like blah blah blah. And that's, man, that's what I feel like sometimes when I go out. Like I was just uh, talking about like when I went out on Sunday, I was just like. It's not even fun to sometimes go out to some of these places anymore because you have these entitled people that are just like prissy and and just don't know how to have fun. They have a stick up their butt. I I like my cheese to be at least $25 a pound. <laughs> I really don't like to eat any cheeses that are mm. under, you know, $21 Look at me, a pound. I'm cool because I do drink PBR. I'm like Yeah. I'm like, "Oh, come on. We get it. You like PBR. I understand. You're trying to say you're cool, but you're not. It's it's uh I don't, I don't even know. know what constitutes cool anymore. I guess money constitutes cool. I, I think it all goes back to the concept that if people were paid, you know, equal work, if work was valued equally, things would be much different. And the, the problem is that we're so... Everything's about money. The Twitter makes money. Ads make money. Money, money, money. And throw money at the people that make the money and... And now with this new um, indentured servitude, you know, it's like, it, oop, I mean, people with master's degrees are, are going to do, are doing task rabbit and cleaning people's houses. Yeah. And it's so sad to me that, that you have your master's degree and you still can't get to the top. Can't, can't even afford rent and, yeah. and have to clean someone's rich person's house. There is no such thing as working hard, paying your dues, going to school, and then making it. That, that doesn't exist anymore. Doesn't exist. I, did it ever exist? Uh, we're, <laughs> we're all over the map today, and this is a weird little article that I found today that I think that we're going to laugh at. Yes. Uh, both Latoya and I are, are, are feminists. Indeed. Indeed. And this article is called this white feminist loved her dreadlocks. Here's why she cut them off. <laughs> I felt like the societal pressures of womanhood come on like the plague. It seemed like one day I was building forts and catching lizards, and the next I was sucking in my gut, picking at my face, and navigating an inescapable shame about my body. A shame that I've now spent the last 20 years trying to shirk. I remember all that too. I remember being 10 years old and grieving my girlhood, that short period of time when I was allowed to exist without a preoccupation of my physical appearance constantly looming over the front of my mind, a time when my self-esteem wasn't rooted in whether I was or was not pretty enough, skinny enough, busty enough, sexy enough. Time, I mean, I agree with all this thus far. Time passed and the more unattainable and oppressive heteronormative fem femininity felt, the more I grew to hate myself and everyone around me. 
In my late teens, I finally gave up. I cobbled together an outfit with layers suitable for all types of weather and didn't change out of it for an entire year. I let my leg and armpit hair grow long and let the hair on my head spiral into a nest of cords, mats, and tangles, a hairdo I would later ignorantly and appropriately refer to as dreadlocks. I ran away from home, started hitchhiking all over the country, going to feminist music festivals, entrenching myself amidst the company of other, mostly white, girls, girls, that's with all R's, who were shirking their feminine hygiene routines, shaving, bathing, hair combing, general beauty maintenance regimens of all types, really, in order to really stick it to the patriarchy. It was a thing, okay? I mean, I don't, I finally, I shaved my legs for the warrior game because I was wearing a cheerleading outfit. Oh, nice. So, yeah. <laughs> We idolized, but I hadn't. I, it was. I mean, it was like I thought it was gonna clog my sink. It was so much hair. That much hair. It was so much hair. I mean, Damn. it was like it, the hair on my legs had grown like an inch. It was long and thick. I'm really lucky my boyfriend doesn't give a shit. We idolized musicians like The Slits, Babes in Toylands, Seven Year Bitch, Annie DeFranco, L7, and Switchblade Symphony. All feminists who wrote songs about smashing mainstream beauty standards. All bands featuring white women who wore their hair in dreadlocks at some point or another during their musical careers. What it was like being a white girl with dreadlocks. I thought Uh-oh. LaToya was just going to love this. Yeah. I, I personally... Before we get to this part, I don't think it's okay. I, I think it's this weird cultural appropriation thing. I think that, I think dreadlocks are hella cool on black people. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, maybe if you were, maybe if you were like a super Jew and had like a super Jew fro and you wanted to dread it out, I could go with that. Cause their hair is like some of their, some Jews, you know, have, have that hair. Super curly, curly, right. curly hair. And if, if you, if it, if it happens and it's working, but when you when you're a blonde and you're, you're trying, trying to make it, or you get one of them, I'm like, <laughs> oh one, man, just, just one doo doo dread. Ugh. And it's just it just I, for a while it didn't bother me, but it's it started to it started to bother me when people started touching my hair. Right. And you know the thing is I don't think a lot of people know the history of how black women how we've been so oppressed with our hair yeah. our hair is a very very touchy subject Ba-dum-tsh. yeah <laughs> i mean because to mainstream society we were not you know our hair is nappy and kinky so the best way to be is to be silky and straight and we killed our hair right trying to perpetrate ourselves as this european beauty that is not ours so then does it bothers you that we're that the white people culturally appropriate with dreads? With dreads. Um, it kind of does. Yeah, in a way. Especially if you're just doing it because you're a fish fan. Ha! That, that, <laughs> shit, that shit pisses me off even more. <laughs> Fucking dirty hippies are ruining Dirty hippies are the worst. Yeah, and I'm like, you don't even know about... Know your history before you start dreading your hair. Yeah. Now, don't do it because you're trying to follow string cheese incident. Yeah! I mean, seriously. <laughs> off in the deep cuts. Yeah, it's right. The truth. It, it, does, it doesn't make sense. That's not where it started. And no, it's not because it's just Bob Marley either he it didn't start there either go it goes further back and to appreciate the you know dreads and natural hair you have it 
it's not just about a style. It isn't. It's beyond that. And I like the fact that she was mentioning some of those bands like L7 because I remember I used to listen to them, and I'm just like, why are these white bitches got their hair shred though? Yeah. You know, like I, I, I mean, I get you're trying to stick it, but don't you? I mean, yeah. don't. It's uh, stop it. Stop it, girl. Stop it. How much? This is. We'll, we'll get. We'll get back to this. But how much? money would you say you spend on your hair monthly <laughs> you don't have to you don't have to divulge that if you don't want no i spend a lot can you um, give us like a round I estimate? Would, for i think i'll say for the total of a year i think i probably spend like a grand wow yeah wow yeah i you know i used to spend more i am so lucky i use i mostly use like shampoo that was given to me because of the dermatology conference or from hotels i have a lot of small shampoo (laughs) bottles i just don't even have to worry about it and i don't even wash it every day i I mean i wash it like maybe once a week yeah and it's still you're not supposed to wash it every day anyway you know um but that's a myth sold to us by the pharmaceutical, not pharma, the cosmeceutical companies that want to <laughs> wash, rinse, repeat. And You're shampoo not- is actually not good for you. you conditioner, yes. Shampoo uh, takes all the oils away from your hair. Yeah, yeah moral so, sulfate or what have you. Yeah, but I, I think I spend that much because I like to change it up. Yeah. But I don't have any, I don't do any relaxers or any of that chemical shit in my hair anymore. Fuck that. Yeah. Fuck. It hurts. It burns, right? It it's burns. like getting a perm. Yeah. I I have not put that, we call it liquid, cra- uh, liquid crack, excuse me. I haven't did that since 2009. I've stopped because that's what killed a lot of uh, women of color's hair. Yeah. You know, to emulate this, you know, you have to have straight hair or, you know, in order to get a job, you know, you can't wear braids. That's why there's a new black girl braid movement um, that I was reading about, um, you know, and the natural hair movement that's going on in the F or in the black culture, because we are tired. We're like, we're not doing, we're, I'm not flat ironing my hair and straighten my hair. Fuck Mm-mm. you. We're basically just saying, fuck you. We're going to be ourselves. I'm going to wear my hair however I want to. If it's going to be kinky, it's going to be kinky. And I don't even like that word either. Kinky, because that's some slave master. Absolutely. Mentality. That's some slave master. Hey, bullshit. I never even thought about yeah, that. Yeah. I don't Is that like there's that. There's a sexual connotation to the word kinky when you're talking about right and somebody's. and kinky also has that negative kind of tone to it mm-hmm. you know we like to say coarse kinky coarse. and stinky rhyme yeah exactly that's not nice <laughs> that's not nice you know so and then there's also you know in our culture you know having good hair what the fuck oh, is good hair mean i watched you know, that amazing yeah. documentary oh, so by yeah, Chris you Rock. Saw, yeah you saw it that? was amazing you know it's a really good documentary it breaks down like how black women are with each other and with our hair and you know this good hair and bad hair and you know straight and not you know yeah. so whatever whatever white girl whatever white hair is what it was like being a white girl with dreadlocks in navigating through a predominantly white feminist punk subculture i never gave it a second thought to whether wearing my hair in dreadlocks was offensive <laughs> at least to anyone other than the patriarchy having dreadlocks was a part of what allowed me to stop obsessing over my appearance as long as I had them, the pressure, as well, uh, well, well for me as a cisgender white woman, to achieve mainstream heteronormative beauty standards was off the table. I suppose I felt empowered by this form of re- rebellious self-exclusion, the alternative being forced exclusion because I simply failed at womanhood. 
While I did run into the occasional asshole on the street who called me a filthy dyke, my whiteness led people to read me as quirky and alternative. I wasn't followed around by security guards every time I went into a store. I wasn't hassled by the cops for hanging out with my friends on street corners. I wasn't hauled off to jail on the presumption that I was a gang member just because of my non-conventional appearance. To further my point, being a white girl with all R's with dreadlocks, as well as someone who wore clothing scrappily held together by safety pins, dental floss, and band patches, I was still considered employable and trustworthy. Without any regard to personal qualifications, even with an incarceration record and no college education, I was often given responsibilities that put me in positions of authority over my coworkers of color. Despite my rebellious appearance, I enjoyed a level of tolerance from authority figures and society at large that can only be attributed to my whiteness. Everything changed when I stopped traveling, started investing in local activist projects, and began building a broader, more multiracial community. For the first time, my peers had a lot of questions and critiques about my choice to wear dreadlocks. The responses other activists had to my hair ranged from mild irritation to downright anger. People were constantly making comments under their breath when they passed me about cultural appropriation, and I had no idea what that meant. Some friends eventually suggested some readings and resources that would help me understand. I read them and learned more about the history and symbolism of dreadlocks in the U.S. and the context to black folks' resistance movements against white supremacy. I had learned that black folks in the U.S. with dreadlocks are not seen as quirky or alternative, but as dangerous and militant. I learned to identify the ways that white colonist mentalities show up in our contemporary everyday lives. I realized I was participating in this shitty reality that, for centuries, white people have felt entitled to take pretty much anything their hearts desire. Entire continents, human bodies, land resources, and yes, whatever cultural trappings of the communities they colonized that were, brought, that were thought to be intriguing at the time. The harmful messages I was sending to the world as a white woman with dreadlocks it finally became clear to me that by wearing my hair in dreadlocks as a white person, the nonverbal statements I was making of colored folks were, oh, excuse me, of making two folks of color were, look, I can reject all of mainstream society's expectations of me and still be treated with more respect than you. Your legacies of cultural resistance are so irrelevant mm -hmm. that they've become nothing more than a fashion accessory exactly. to help me evade the expectations of white womanhood. <laughs> I don't care that my presence elicits discomfort and sometimes communicates what, it's, what is seen as blatant disrespect. I don't care that my hairstyle symbolizes the kind of white entitlement that has resulted in <laughs> centuries worth of global colonial violence, etc. I'm pretty embarrassed to say so, but even after this new stage of awareness, I still had a super hard time letting him go. Some examples of my last ditch arguments were, one, a lot of cultures throughout the ages have worn dreadlocks. I'm part Scandinavian. My ancestors were Vikings. <laughs> to which my friends responded, 
Yes, it's true that dreadlocks are worn in all different cultures around the world, but the context for which they are worn in the U.S. is explicitly rooted in black folks, Rastafarians specifically, symbolic resistance to white supremacy. When white people in the U.S. wear dreadlocks, the power of this symbolic resistance is reduced to an exotic fashion trend, wherein the oppressor is able to play temporarily an exotic other without acknowledging or experiencing any of the daily discriminations black folks have to face. Two, we live in an intercultural society. Black women wear white hairstyles, so what's with the double standard? To which my friends responded, black women are told that in order to appear respectable in U.S. society, they need to invest an insane amount of time and energy into making themselves look more white. Yep. Due to this fucked up societal pressure, and due to the institutional power that white people have in determining mainstream beauty standards, it's not the same. Three, nobody can control me. I can do what I want. <laughs> to which my friends responded, and you know what? You're white, so it makes complete sense that you'd feel that way. <laughs> Four, by wearing dreadlocks, I'm giving up my white privilege to stand in solidarities with POC, people of color. To which my friends responded, you are an oppression tourist, a white girl who always has an escape route back to the open arms of white supremacy once she is through rebelling. You can cut them off anytime. <laughs> to pretend otherwise or assume you yourself a martyr is misguided and offensive. Five, but there's a difference between appreciation and appropriation, isn't there? <laughs> My friends referred me to articles like these saying, I'm trying to think of... I'm trying to think of examples of things res I respect and show that I oh wait I'm trying to think of example I'm trying to think of examples of things I respect and how I show that respect. I'm actually struggling to think of a time when I respected something and decided the best way to show that respect was by taking it. You know how I show respect? I listen. I listen hard, I listen deeply, I listen constantly. I listen to stories, I listen to histories, I listen to learn, I listen to hear when I've misstepped. And I listen so I can become a more complete human being. I wanna see what the article was that they, they sent her to, appro Native Appropriations. Uh, That's pretty good. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah I, I read about this one. I actually know a girl who um, makes, she's white and she makes these Native American headdresses and she wanted Jonathan to model them at some point. Um, and it, it's the, I, I, and Fashion she, statement. she, well, she was making them these, she was making them and saying, oh, well, it's, I'm respecting the Indian, the culture oh, of Native God. Americans by making these headdresses. And I'm like, I mean, they were really cool and stuff, but uh, but it's a, it was more like a hipster headdress, yeah. Let's see, uh, cultural appreciation, cultural appreciation, appropriation, yeah. Yeah, it's and that's the thing. It's <laughs> there's a joke that we all say about like you know how white people always like to take things that were once ours. It's just like dreads, you know. It's like it was ours, and then they took it. <laughs> Tina Turner, she was ours. They took her. <laughs> Lionel Richie, they can have him. Yeah, <laughs> we can have him. Hello, Hello. is it me you're looking for? No, no. actually, no, sir. I don't. 
need to find you. I mean, and even in like in hip hop now, Let's like even Let's talk. Even <laughs> KYT. <laughs> Even when it comes to slang now, if you notice, like if you're watching advertisements, you, they take our slang and it just, it sounds like, like the word fleek. I don't use that word anyway. I, fleek? I don't know what fleek means. It means cool, but I oh. don't use that. Or It's too close to skeet. Yeah. Oh, skeet, skeet, skeet. See, I learned skeet what that is. another is. one. See, skeet that's, is that's another, another one. one. That's another oh, one. Oh, skeet, skeet, goddamn. You know, or. Skeet, skeet, motherfucker. And you know, and the thing is, it's, it's just like really funny that, you know, I understand embracing and loving something about, you know, someone's culture and I get it. You know, I, I mean, I like, I mean, I like Depeche Mode there. I mean, <laughs> I like certain music that is just like, you know, not, you know, it, whatever. The yeah, point I, is, I got you. I like yeah. Depeche Mode too. But the point is, it's just like, you know, if you have, you have to know your history, if you're going to do this shit, yeah. if you're going to play the game, know your stuff. Right. You know, and that also goes for like, you know, indigenous, you know, headdresses. Sure. Like I remember there was um, a controversy that uh, Urban Outfitters was doing like all, all these um, indigenous uh, prints and what have you. And a lot of the tribes didn't like, like that. Like prints or what have you. Yeah. Well, th- this one was about like a lot of the Sioux tribes. Oh, and, okay, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Um, and they were like, wait a minute, cultural appreciation, you know, um, and I think I think they stopped selling them or what have you because it, you know a lot of the people indigenous uh, community were pretty pissed off about it. Well, and it's a, a pre- appreciation versus appropriation. I guess it comes down to the people you're appropriating it or appreciating it from, whether they're okay with it or not. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how to. I mean, as things become more and more PC. Which pisses me off, too. I don't like... Yeah, that's another thing. I'm not a big PC person. So, it's like... When people say, oh, you're appropriating the culture. It's like, are you being politically correct? I mean, I... I just... I think... I think when it comes to... I'm not growing dreadlocks. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> <laughs> I think when it comes down to, like, dreads and stuff like that, it, it it's deeper than just style and hair for us. Mm-hmm. It's deeper, you know. And like she said, what she was talking about in the article we look like a threat you know when we're walking down the street with our dreadlocks or with our hair looking natural you know right you know we get followed and people try to touch your hair which is weird uh <laughs> this is I, I nobody has ever tried to touch my hair <laughs> it's, ever it's just ever it's so it's so insulting it, seriously absolutely i don't know where your hand's been well I'm touching anybody without uh, without permission is not okay it's like the same thing i think happens with women that are pregnant like everyone wants to touch their belly right right they're like look at you you weirdo having a baby or like it's my right because there's you're having a baby it's like <laughs> don't touch people without asking ever didn't you learn that in like preschool right that's what i try to teach the kids all the time keep your hands to yourself, yourself without asking uh number six but that's not what i mean what about the purpose they serve me to which my friends responded whether or not you mean to be disrespectful, the statements you are communicating are out of your control. Certain cultural symbols will always have semiotic weight. You wouldn't wear a swastika pendant just because you thought it was pretty. <laughs> See, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, pretty, you wouldn't wear yeah. The haircut. I finally cut them off. And when I did, I felt literally and figuratively a dozen pounds lighter. 
Although I am still pretty alternative looking, I've learned to stand up against systems of oppression by doing the actual footwork in my daily life. I no longer naively expect my physical appearance on its own to do that work for me. Cutting off my dreadlocks was a form of accountability, an acknowledgement of the ways in which I've benefited and continue to benefit from the legacies of extreme racialized violence. Cutting off my dreadlocks didn't make me instantly a good white person or even a trustworthy ally, but it sure as hell dismantled some of the barriers that stood in the way of cultivating deep, meaningful relationships based on mutual respect, trust, and solidarity. As feminists, we do need to continue working hard to dismantle society's oppressive messages about femininity, but we also need to be thinking about the intersections of race, class, gender, the ways some the ways some of us benefit from the system in which we live and how we can empower and liberate ourselves without contributing to the impression of someone else. Amen. Uh, Anna Antipalindrome is a contributing writer for Everyday Feminism and a Bay Area-based writer, musician, and queer femme antagonist who hails from the working class craters to the base of the Sierra foothills. To, for more info on her work, see Anna uh, Anna antipalindrome.com to contact her and you can message her via her Facebook page well yeah. I really I enjoyed that very much I did too I think a lot more people should read that shit yeah <laughs> fucking hippies on fucking hate this is a uh, this is this this website that got this off it's called everyday feminism and this is an interesting one we'll just stick five ways to maintain your queer identity in a relationship people read as straight. What does that even mean? What, what's the name of the... Uh... This is five ways to maintain your queer identity in a relationship people read as straight. Uh, in a way, there's is safety that comes with being out and in public holding a boy's hand. I've been seen as straight, feminine, and the right sort of woman. No one harasses me, leering and telling me to kiss him so they can watch. No one calls me the D word or threatens to turn me straight. As far as they can tell, I already am. But the flip side of that safety, conditional as it is, is erasure. In that one glimpse of me with a male partner, 11 years of identifying as queer are erased. Years of struggle and years of joy too. And in that moment, nobody knows or cares that maybe I'm more into women. Maybe most of my partners are women. And I can only imagine my life centered around other women. I'm holding a boy's hand, so I'm straight. Being a queer person in a relationship that's read as straight by others can be painful and invalidating, no matter how healthy and empowering the relationship itself is. Being mislabeled as straight can bring back all our baby queer insecurities that we thought we were past. Being queer enough, worrying about taking up space that isn't ours to take up. Uh, yeah, I mean, I never even thought about that. That if that. you're a lesbian and you hang out with, you have a friend who's a dude that you guys might be a couple yeah I mean I just I don't I don't think that much about queer people because I just sort of accept however I they it. I don't overthink it either yeah that's too much overthinking for me yeah too much overthinking for me too we're gonna kill <laughs> this one like, yeah, yeah I mean I mean I'm a feminist and everything and but that's the thing I'm a feminist and I believe that women should be able to express themselves in any way they want anyway unless you're wearing dreadlocks unless you have dread, <laughs> unless you're white and have dreadlocks <laughs> That's not cool, but but if you're, I don't I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with queer people. I don't have a problem with straight people. I don't have I yeah I don't overthink stuff like that. Yeah. I don't. I mean, cause I've I've tested the waters of both. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've been with girls. 
yeah, so have I. Yeah. You know, so it's just like I, I don't walk down the street and think to myself that they're gay or straight. I, I haven't ever had like a relationship with a woman that's like the one I have with my boyfriend. Like I, I've, right. I've been in group sex orgy situations with women and men together. Right. I, I had a threesome once with two other girls that were my two best friends. And I have a relationship in that way, but I wasn't gonna seek out like an actual relationship, relationship. with like long-term sexual. Like this is my girl. Right. Right. This is my bae. Right. Yeah. You know. And not that I'm opposed to it. I just it's never it's never been a thing. Yeah. I, and I've always been boy crazy, so it's never really. It's never. Yeah. And the thing is, like you know. And that's okay. I mean, at least you know who you are. There are a lot of blind people out here who don't know who they are, who have an issue with it, who don't accept it, because maybe they're feeling kind of queer themselves. Gotcha. You know? If I was to say I was anywhere on the queer spectrum, I would say that I'm a gay man trapped in a woman's body, because I really do want all the rights and privileges that come with being a white male. That would be amazing, and I have I have a friend I have a It'd friend like who's Disneyland. trans. I have a very very good friend um, who happens to be a, a, a trans um, from female to male, who is super manly. One of my best friends was like, I am so attracted to this person, and I was like, I know who isn't. He's great. <laughs> and we had a discussion once on the back patio of Benders, where I said, What's the difference now that you're? And he was like people listen to me he's like I get all the I work at work they treat him completely differently he works at a different job than before but when he was of the female persuasion but that people treat him with so much more respect than they did when he, when was, he was a she wow and I, I believe I he's a really good-looking 50-something white male now and an amazing human being and just a lovely person Wow. Um, so and he knows what it's like on what it's like on both spectrums. on both sides, and that's the only reason that I would transition is that I want I want all the rights and privileges. <laughs> I want to be a dude. You know, when um when a when a man makes a decision, people do it. When a woman makes a decision, people form a committee. Right. And or question or question. Yeah. And I just wouldn't it be amazing if like. I could be decisive and not be a bitch. I mean, there's been a lot of flack lately because I kind of, with the station, and I'm, I mean, I've been in charge for coming up on three years here, but people still are a little bit like, I make a decision, and they're like, uh, and it's like, I am so capable. I am so capable in so many ways. And you guys, guys, and look at that, I use the word guys, and people, and you, is it? And I wonder how much of it is it and granted, I fly off the handle a lot, and I cry, and I freak out, and I get frustrated. And But I've been in situations where men in charge have yelled at me, and it hasn't been a problem. Right. Because they were expressing what the team needed or whatever. But if I raise my voice in any capacity, bitch. I'm a bitch, and I'm emotional, right. and we shouldn't listen to what I'm saying. Yeah, she's flying off the she's handle. She's flying off the handle. She's hysterical. Yeah. And she's PMSing. She's PMSing. And granted, Fuck last you. Friday night I was in a terrible mood and I didn't know why. And it turned out I got my period the next day. And I was being cunty to my poor boyfriend. But, um, <laughs> and it, it does, it does affect me. Like my body does affect me. And I, 
I don't think that we should necessarily discount that. But. No, the thing is, we we are emotional creatures, but men are. I'm, I'm seeing more men now in today's society act more like bitches anyway. <laughs> and when I say that, they bitch. I mean, and whine and moan, you know, like, how dare you be this way to me? Or why are you talking to me like this? I'm like, no, I'm talking to you in a stern way, the way you would talk to me. So why do yeah. you have to, why yeah. do you have to act like a little bitch? Absolutely. I have tried to communicate with men when they've made massive mistakes and they just can't hear it. They can't hear it. When I make a mistake, I usually point it out first and say like, oh, I accept the responsibility for that. But... I'll accept responsibility for it. And I feel like if I call people out, they're not, they're not listening. It no. becomes something else. It, it does. <laughs> and, I, and sometimes I'm not even raising my voice. And then they'll be like, well, why are you raising your voice at me like that? And I'm like, I'm not. I'm, I'm just, just saying I'm just you're in to, the wrong. Yeah, I'm just trying to say you, you, you made a mistake and it affected me in this way. I'm just pointing it. it out. Right. You can't, you can, can you... Can you say that won't happen again? Or can you apologize? apologize? Can you try harder next time? Can you acknowledge? Just acknowledge it. And not not even to acknowledge it. And then to, oh, yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. They can't take it. And I think it's just getting worse with men because it, you know, because, you know, there's this whole being about being a man and, you know, I have to be the one in be charge. A man, a man, man, man. Um, yes, exactly. A man, oh, man. A man, a man, man. Man, oh, man, oh, man. <laughs> That's from what? Team America World Police? No, it's from, uh, uh, it's same directors. Yeah, it's It'll those guys. It's those guys. It's Matt Stone and Trey Parker. Right. Um, but the thing is, it's just like, I see more men that get really emotional about nothing. Thing. Hmm. And you want to call me a bitch? No, actually, you're the one acting like a little bitch right now. Right. You know, I had a guy, this happened to my friend. She, I guess, something happened about a month ago at a bar, and she goes to the bar um, this past weekend, and he calls the cops because. I guess she hit him behind the bar or something. Okay. So I get he. I guess he had some cop friends. Oh no. So he called the cops on her about an incident that happened about a month ago. Oh my god. You Instead, could do that. I think his friends were cops. Cause that's the thing. You don't have any bruises. How can you? They arrest. Did they arrest her? He called the cops like a little bitch instead of like saying, you can't be in here, you know? So he felt like I'm going to call my cop friends and then they put, they arrested, they didn't tell her why. Oh my God. I said, you have a case girl, by the way. Yeah. Um, they didn't read her Miranda rights. Oh, she was, she was like, you know, she's like, wait a minute. She raised her hand. Like, why are you arresting me? You're not telling me. And then they threw her on the ground, (gasps) said that she was resisting arrest which she wasn't she was like you're not giving me a reason why and two guys two men threw her on the ground she got she has bruises on her face oh my god um she spent a couple days in jail oh my god all the charges were dropped no now i'm glad they were dropped but she had to spend days in jail yeah that's obscene that is really upsetting this is some bitch this is what i'm talking about men acting like bitches instead of being a man and you ran and called the cops, your cop friends, to ruin just because some incident happened a month ago. A month, and they ruined her whole a couple days of her life. Yeah, 
Ugh. See, this is what I'm talking about, like how men are acting like bitches. Oh my God. Incident happened to me at the makeout room. Well, this is a couple months ago. I picked up this drunk guy and this girl were talking. I picked up the lady's coat because it was on the ground and I was going to hand it to her and the guy takes out my hand and throws it on my face. <gasps> So, you know, I went ape shit. I'm Absolutely. like, you motherfucker. Part of me wanted to slap the piss out of him. Oh, yeah. And she's like, oh, my God, why'd you do that? Why'd you throw that? And I'm like, you're a piece of shit. I ought to take you outside and beat your ass myself. Again, him be a man being a bitch because I'm being more of a gentleman than you are, Pick obviously. up the jacket and hand it to the nice lady. Yeah. I mean, this is Was kind of... because you embarrassed him? Men can't handle it when, you, when they feel like a woman somehow embarrasses them or demasculates them in any way so, they so, can't ha- it can't hang. this is exactly and that's the whole thing what i'm trying to you know bring together the fact of the matter like no one is trying to demasculate you yeah you're you doing know? a good job of it yourself exactly because right. you're acting like a bitch right exactly you, you cut know? off your own balls dude yeah. and it, you know a lot of men i notice nowadays can't stand up for themselves they're scared <laughs> Man, I, I want to get a day dick. You know about these, right? No. The day dick. No. These are um, some w- women, uh, feminists and uh, queer women and whatnot, uh, where these, they're like half chubs. <laughs> they're not a dildo per se, because it's like a half chub. And you wear it in your pants on days that you have like an important meeting or you want to feel really powerful. Nice. And it's you wear it in um you wear it in your strap on holder, <laughs> but it's not for fucking the ladies. It's it's just for show. It's for a day dick so you can feel like I'm a man. Really empowered. Yeah. yeah. I think my vagina is enough. We 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 bring life into this world. Yeah. And I think the vagina is powerful enough. I don't need a day dick. Right. You know, I would Lorena Bob at that shit. I was thinking about this the other day on the BART when I was riding BART is I had my legs crossed like I usually do. And I saw the guy next to me and his he had his legs spread very comfortably and I thought to myself, now is that an acceptable societal posture for men because they have that thing? If they try to cross their legs, they have to kind of you either have to push your dick down or pull it up. I think it's um, actually American men mostly look are the ones that have their legs open like that. A lot of European men usually do cross their legs or what have you yeah. when they're having a conversation. Anyone that has any kind of home training does not slouch and have your legs open, spread out, man or woman. Right. Because I, I used to think that. I'm like, well, they probably can't cross their legs because the dicks. No. I noticed like... European men will cross their legs more. Oh, they're or, so, they're you know, so genteel. Yeah. American well, or, men are just sloppy. I, uh, maybe that's because whenever I'm sitting, I am very conscious of not letting my vag wag to the world. Yeah. And yeah. I wonder if that's like a, a feminine thing that I was, was that, is that something that I was taught or trained? Is it something that's sort of like, we know there's this same strange space that we're trying to, to keep safe I or, think, I think it's all of those things. I mean, I can remember as far as, you know, being a little girl, always cross your legs, always cross you your know, legs, rub your knees together. Yeah. yeah rub your, Yeah. And of course, I mean, if you're wearing a dress, you don't want to have your legs all fucking open or what have you, right, unless you're right. at home, Sure. you know? But I think it's something that we are taught, and I think that's something that society has, you know, brainwashed a lot of people to do. But I don't also feel comfortable with my legs all open right, like I mean, that, you know? It doesn't work for me. You know, I can have my legs open a little bit, but, you know, it just... 
I think it looks sloppy and tacky. The too. only time my vag is wagging to the world is when I'm sitting Indian style, which I do quite a bit. Yeah. I sit Indian style a lot. Like if I'm at a bar or God, I spend so much time in bars. Um, <laughs> Ditto. But I, I say, well, you work there. It's different. <laughs> I'm there for recreation and comedy. <laughs> Uh, speaking of touching things, this is a dumb, <laughs> I, like I said today, we're all over the map. You guys are listening to the AltaCast here on Mutiny Radio. Pam Benjamin, LaToya, the Sheriff of Truth. This is from SF Gate. Uh, Stanford apparently has a lot of money to waste because of <laughs> yeah. this article that came out, humans physiologically aroused by touching robots' butt. Oh my God. In a new study, Stanford researchers programmed a humanoid robot to ask college students to please touch my buttocks to see how they would react. As you might expect, the students felt uncomfortable and reluctant. What? On the first date? Not even dinner first? But the undergrads, each alone in a room with an NAO robot, did what was requested, using their non-dominant hand to feel the robot's bum. So, let, that's funny, non-dominant. A skin conductive sensor showed that physiological arousal, that is, attention, alertness, and awareness, not necessarily sexual arousal, rose when subjects touched intimate areas such as buttocks, breasts, inner thighs, and genitals of a robot. Touching less accessible regions of the robot uh, e.g. buttocks and genitals was more physiologically arousing than touching more accessible regions, hands, feet. No differences in physiological arousal were found when just pointing to those same anatomical regions. Further evidence to participants' sensitivity to touching low accessible regions of robots emerged in an analysis of response time, which was longer for participants who touched low accessible and not high, but not high accessible areas. But why does touching a robot's plastic rear end elicit heightened human sensitivity? It's not like it's an erogenous zone. The robot gets nothing out of this contact. You might as well be fondling a toaster. The Stanford scientists theorize that robots' human-like form may elicit a primitive response that trumps the rational assessment of, I'm touching a machine. People are not inherently built to differentiate between technology and humans, they wrote. Consequently, primitive responses in human physiology to cues like movement, language, and social intent can be elicited by robots, just as they would be by real people. Okay, these people are fucking bored. Absolutely, absolutely. But I think what they're getting to is this new um, human robot, human robot sex slave thing. Yeah, sex dolls. Um, Yeah, um, that's just sad. Human robot sex dolls. Uh, Here we go. Life size, dual sex human figure, thirty nine parts, eight thousand three hundred and fifty dollars. You might as well get a real woman. That's just pathetic. Yeah, robot sex. Your $50,000 lifelike sex doll will soon be asking... Show, show me. Tell me. Um, this is... Uh, oh, I don't want to watch a YouTube, though. We'll, we'll try this. Oh, uh, real doll sex thing. Real, real life-size dual sex Asian human figure. 39 part. Let's, let's look at, let's look oh at this God. up close and see what's happening here no tax no tax $8,350 no tax that's nice thanks Uh, sex robots could be the biggest trend of 2016 as more that is is just so sad I mean this is what I'm talking about We, we are in the heart of technology and I think this has something to do with why 
people don't know how to interact with, with each, each other. other. Yeah. You know, people don't, they're afraid to talk to people. They're afraid to do anything. Oh, man. And to even have sex. Oh. Well, and then there's the other thing over here on the side, the, the new virtual reality sex suit. So that you get in the sex suit and then your 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 lover in New York or whatever gets on their sex suit and then you masturbate or you do stuff on the green. It's like in virtual reality, right? So you can like touch their boobies and it like registers on their virtual reality suit. Oh my God. And so the thing is, are you cheating? So if let's say that, you know, like I love my boyfriend, Jonathan, right? right. I love him to death. But what if I have suit sex with some dude in Georgia? Is that cheating? No. It's it's virtual reality. You're looking at them in the virtual world. Grab the dick and they feel it because they've got this thing the on their sensors. dick too. They've got the sensors and they got this. It's in the suit, right? So if you grab the dick, they feel it. Wow. Crazy. Oh my God, that's, that's crazy. That's the virtual reality sex suit lets men experience realistic intercourse all on their own. Oh my God. Okay, they're freakish. This is the sex robots could be the biggest trend of 2016 as more lonely humans <laughs> seek mechanical companions. They're freakishly realistic. And until now, it would have been unthinkable but we, that we could have them in our homes, our beds this year. Plug in, baby. Sexy robot Roxy could be coming soon to a home near you. She looks pretty real, but vapid as a pit of starfish. It might sound like the plot of a 1980s sci-fi film, but sex robots may actually the biggest, be the biggest tech trend of 2016. The popularity of the artificially human machines have grown directly in tandem with their realism. And not only will people be having intimate relations with them, they may even fall in love with them too. Dr. Helen Driscoll, a leading authority on the physio the psychology of sex and relationships, says sex tech was already advancing at a fast pace. Dr. Driscoll from the University of Sunderland says that robotic interactive motion sensing technology is likely to become more and more central to the sex industry in the next few years. And then you get to put them in the bathtub and clean them out? Like, are they battery operated? Do you plug them into the wall? Can we take a shower together? Can you take a shower? Well, you need to clean up. I mean, once you jizz in that robot. <laughs> I mean, I don't think there's any women that are like, I want, these are all female robots. I mean, it's not like, I don't see any dudes out there with. Because uh, we have our own perfect machine. Uh, I, yeah. Two batteries. That's all two it is. I don't mind. Mine doesn't even have batteries as a recharger that plugs into the wall. <laughs> we, we tend to think about ish, issues daily, such as virtual reality and robotic sex within the context of current norms. But if we think back to social norms about sex that existed just a hundred years ago, it is obvious that they have changed rapidly and radically. I think that I think that that's just in 1920 when you had sex with your wife in the butt. It was called rape, and now it's just called <laughs> anal. Anal. Uh, robotophilia may be alien now, but could be normal in the near future as attitudes evolve about technology. As virtual reality becomes more realistic and immersive and able to mimic and even improve on the experience of sex with a human partner, it is conceivable that some will choose this in preference with sex than a less than perfect human being. Oh my God. Damn. Dr. Driscoll adds, people may also begin to fall in love with their virtual reality partners. It is not a new prediction, but the technology has improved at a quicker rate uh, than may have been expected. Back in 2007, artificial intelligence researchers David Levy from the University 
of Massatrick told Live Sciences that people could be marrying robots and consummating their vows by 2015. Oh my God. Although it might not uh, appeal at first, he said, once you have a story like, I had sex with a robot and it was great, appears somewhere like Cosmo Magazine, I'd expect many people to jump on the bandwagon. In his PhD thesis, Intimate Relationships with Artificial Partners, Levy stated that the more more human-like robots become in terms of personality, function, and appearance, the more likely they are to form romantic partners for real people. It may sound a little weird, but it isn't. It's weird! It's fucking weird. Love and sex with robots are inevitable. Dr. Ian Pearson even wrote in a report produced for online sex shop Bondora, brothels and strip clubs will soon include robots, and they will be a specific fetish for some people, as well as potentially cheaper replacement for real-life interaction. According to Dr. Pearson... Ew, so you're going to jizz in the robot, and then they're going to clean out the robot, and then someone else... Oh, God. According to Dr. Pearson, advances in sex tech will provide opportunities for those that wouldn't otherwise have them. His report marks 2050 as the year that human-robot sex overtakes human-human sex. Oh, no. And technology is ready to go this year. Uh, Matt McMullen, the CEO of Love Doll manufacturer Real Doll, is busy making a new toy. The first one is called Harmony that will blink, open its mouth, and even have a chat with you. The ultimate aim is to create a doll that appears to behave as if she enjoys the act of sex. Oh, that's the... That's why they... That's... We might very well... This is this is purely for fat guys who haven't left their room in three exactly. years. Exactly. Uh, we might very well be launching a new company devoted solely to the development of integrating AL with realistic sex toys, as well as AL, AI, AI with realistic sex toys, as well as potential VR applications. I guess that's virtual reality. McMullen said in a Reddit Ask Me Anything. Meanwhile, another robotics expert has launched a campaign to ban the development of sex robots in the UK. Dr. Kathleen Richardson, a senior research fellow at the De Montfort University in Lisier, has called the development of sex bots a disturbing trend that needs to be stopped. Sex robots seem to be a growing focus in the robotics industry, and the models they draw on, how will they look, what roles they will play, are very disturbing indeed. Mm-hmm. We think that the creation of such robots will contribute to a detrimental relationships between men and women, adults and children, men Men and men and women and women i agree with that wow i kind of agree with that because you know this is all aimed toward men yeah it's all right now it is you fun. know it totally is aimed toward men and the fact of the matter that you know he still has that machismo i'm the man and she'll do what i say yeah and she will the robot she will right and so now how if you decide to get in a real relationship with a real human how I mean, her. Absolutely. How's it gonna work? You know. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's a, it's a huge, it's a huge problem, and I, I see it as a problem for feminism in general too. Because oh, totally. once once you get guys that are like having sex with robots, and they're comparing the two, right? And you have, and they, and what are they gonna choose? They're gonna have them all be. I mean, I guess you get to choose one an Asian or a black person or a white person and their hair. I mean, it's just, I, that's scary you're, to me. You're going to design do your whatever, own sex partner. Yeah, she'll do whatever you say. And she'll say, I mean, I can, if you program her, yes, daddy, put it there. Yes. And then the sex will always be good because you're you're the man. You know how to do it. 
that's that's just pathetic. I mean, I thought that the fleshlight was pathetic, but this takes everything to a whole new level. This is this is just sad. And then having the fact that you might end up in a relationship, <laughs> kill yourself. Yeah. I'm just I'm sorry. Yes. I'm like, there's nothing better than like having a human touch absolutely you know and having that intimacy are they gonna, are they gonna put a heater in it i mean my god what are they gonna do <laughs> it's like a plastic doll but it's a plastic rubber i mean i guess they're recreating the feel of skin and i guess you could put a, a warming sensor in there you can slap it around you can slap, i mean that's another <laughs> thing wow it's... for fetishism and for you could <laughs> Wow, the poor robot. Yeah, you can abuse her, spit on her. Oh, poor robots. We're going to have to have a union for robots. Yeah. <laughs> a sex, a sex, sex worker robots. Totally. That's what they are. Oh, well, remember Gigolo Joe, what do you know from AI? <laughs> yeah. It's Gigolo Joe. That's... But then he turned in and he was, oh, I, he was, it was, that was a, that was a fun, it was a long movie, but Haley Joe Osmond is just. That's uh, that's so sad. This this all I guess comes in the full circle of like how men can't. I mean, are so scared. They're so afraid yeah. that now you have robots to fuck because you're that afraid of women. <laughs> yeah, scary, scary, scary. Oh my god. Okay, our last topic for today on the AltaCast <gasps> in our last ten minutes. What is it going to it's be? It's IBS. Yay! Irritable bowel syndrome. I think I've caught it. I think I caught the celiac bug. I think you need to go to the doctor. I don't want to go to the doctor. I'm going to wait. If if it if it lasts a full week and tomorrow will actually be a, be a full, full week, week and it's still super problematic, I might I you, might go in. You have to go in. Because it's uncomfortable. What is IBS? Well, it's the dumbest thing ever because they have no tests for it. If I go in for tests... I read the thing on that. If you go in for tests, they don't necessarily tell you anything just because there's no test for it. So it just, the tests tell you if you have something else, like a liver dysfunction or something. Uh, so what is, what is IBS and do I have it? And I think I do. Uh, IBS symptoms and I have uh, symptom overview. This is what I have. Uh, a number of symptoms that occur together characterize irritable bowel syndrome. That they may this may confuse you at first. Plus, symptoms will likely change over time, and the changes may seem random. But there is a pattern of symptoms to IBS. So the first thing I got was discomfort and pain and bloating. Let's see, a key sign or symptom of IBS is pain or discomfort in the abdomen. The abdomen is the area below your chest and above your hips. Yep, found it. Hurts there. Another symptom of IBS relate to your relate to your bowel habit. Did you notice a change in frequency or consistency of stool? These changes link to the pain. Yeah, I had diarrhea this morning eight times. I feel so badly for my neighbors because this morning at 7.45, I woke up from a dream with just horrible cramping and I went to the potty and then just, I just peed out my poop hole. And then I got back in bed and poor Jonathan, and I'm like writhing in pain. He's like, he's like, he's, I, I said, what side of your body is your appendix on? He looks in his phone and it's like the right side. So I'm like, thank God I don't have appendix. I don't have appendicitis. Okay. But the pain was so extreme oh my God. that I was like crawling on the floor to the bathroom multiple times. I was, I mean, I went to the bathroom like not, and then I even did it again here. I had another, so there is definitely some changes in my bowel habit. The symptoms occur over long-term and come and go over time. Some or all of IBS symptoms can occur at the same time. Some symptoms may be worse than others. Abdominal pain is often described as crampy or as a generalized ache with 
periods of cramps. Yeah, and I also have my period right now, too. So I'm like, Ugh. I think it's a combination of both. I don't know. Yikes. Sharp, dull, gas-like, or modest pains are common. Yeah, I have all of that. Um, <laughs> symptoms of patterns add up to IBS. Certain signs and symptoms occur within IBS. Symptoms-based criteria for IBS emphasize a positive diagnosis rather positive diagnosis rather than extensive tests to rule out other diseases no tests confirm the diagnosis of IBS so that's why I'm like so what's going on I fucked up my system I did something to it but and it says it mostly happens in women too oh, uh, other symptoms great. are heartburn feeling of fullness nausea abdominal fullness bloating I have everything but heartburn I never get heartburn other GI symptoms also include intermittent upper abdominal discomfort or pain I got that feelings of urgency the need to find a restroom fat I have that feeling of incomplete bowel emptying well it's just like I pee out my butthole non-GI symptoms also occur uh, fatigue muscle pain sleep disturbances sexual dysfunction I don't have any of that problem yet and severe is lower back pain headache. I don't, I don't have that. <laughs> Symptoms not characteristic of IBS include anemia, blood in the stools, unexplained weight loss, or fever. Yeah, I don't have any problem like that. Other signs uh, for special consideration are age 50 or older. Nope. Nighttime sy- symptoms that awake the individual. They woke me this morning. Change in the symptoms. Recent use of antibiotics. Nope, I hate those. <laughs> and um, gastrointestinal diseases in your family. Uh, I have my... Everyone in my family has problems with their butt. Oh, really? Yeah, my mom and my brother have both, both had polyps removed from the tushies. Oh, so it's I'm genetic. Kind, it's genetic. I kind of need to go in. This is one of those things is if I go into the doctor, I'm basically going in and saying, do a colonoscopy, which I don't necessarily have a problem with. I mean, some people are like really freaked out about that kind of stuff, but I'm not so freaked out. Like, you're going to put a camera at my bum. Yeah. I got it. Fine. Check it out. See what's going see on what's in there. What's going on? Yeah. The only thing I'd be well, no, they they make you not eat for twenty four hours because the only thing I'd be afraid of is that they stick it up there and it like activates. You shit some, on some, it. Yeah, I don't want to poop <laughs> you shit on the camera. I don't want to poop on the camera. <laughs> but I think they have to have the whole thing empty before they go in there. You know oh, what I, mean? yeah. I I definitely think you should go get that checked out. You yeah. know. Yeah. It's just you know, especially the dealing with the fact that you have the cramps and all that. Right. You know that discomfort feeling. Uh, anytime you have to crawl to the bathroom, yeah, it's bad news. It's bad news bears. Bad news bears. Uh, so th- it's like I said. Well, what do I do about it? Like, I'm surprised there's no test. There's yeah. There's no, there's no test. Wow. Uh, there's an IBS awareness month. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, this is. Uh, I want to read some of the um, some of the personal stories. This will be fun. Does this mean you had to wear the pins? I hope not. <laughs> uh, daily living. I am a 50-year-old female with IBS, with constipation most of the time. Uh, nope, I don't have constipation, so it's not a problem. I am a 63-year-old female who has digestive problems and symptoms since childhood, along with food sensitivities and frequent alternate bouts of constipation and diarrhea. I also have a lot of intestinal pain. In 1980, I was diagnosed with severe prolapse colon and had surgery to correct it. Oh, that's scary. And had subsequent adhesions, endometriosis. She's, this is too crazy. I just want someone that's like, tells me about what to do about the liquid poo. Oh, it's liquidy too. It's, oh. it's like, it is the worst. I hate to end on shit, you guys, but I mean, literally, <laughs> it's... And, and there's another thing it says that I should um, avoid alcohol, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> no, I'm going to try. I didn't drink on Monday. 
and it was still a problem yesterday. Um, I drank yesterday, but I wasn't hungover this morning, although I did vomit because of this pain. The so nausea. The, the nausea from what was happening here made me, f- it was like, it's either going out that going out one way or it's coming out the way it came in. Right. So I was having a lot of trouble this morning. I'm surprised that I made it here. But I did. So, because I had to play a JD. Well, and that's the thing. As I was thinking, I was like, oh, my buddy JD Buell, who has a show, The Morning Train, from 10 to noon, uh, he has colon cancer, and they just went in to reverse his colostomy and take out another big piece of cancer. Really? And so he's in the hospital right now, uh, recovering from that. Get that's better. Get better, JD. But when I was thinking, like, while I was dealing with this, I was like, at least I don't have cancer. But is this the kind of stuff that, like, preempts cancer? This is why you should definitely go to the doctor so you could avoid that C word. Right. You know. Because I sure as shit don't want colon cancer. Oh, no. That's deadly. Yeah, absolutely. That's fucking deadly. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. I think... It's, have you been drinking more water? Uh, yeah, actually, I have. You have? Because I've been, I've been having so much liquid poo that I'm worried about being dehydrated. Yeah. Because it's just like... So I do. I, I've been drinking a lot of water lately. And last night, I really, I only had a pitcher of beer. I, and people <laughs> might think that that's a lot, but for me, that's pretty standard. Is that a lot? It is kind of a lot. But A pitcher of beer? But if you think about over, it. Over three, over three, four that's, hours. That's about, oh, over four. I mean, I, I, I started drink. I got my pitcher probably about 6.30, and I was done with it when we finished at midnight. I mean, not at midnight, at 10. We finished the show at 10. because technically if you had pints, you would probably have, that's what about four pints? Four, three or four pints, yeah. Three yeah. And a half. yeah. There's small pitchers there at the, uh, at the brainwash. Yeah. So, I mean, but unfortunately women, you know, we can't drink like men. Our bodies aren't built for that. That's why, you know, when they say like, you know, women are only supposed to have like maybe uh what is it two to three glasses oh geez yeah i'm a four to fiver i'm i'm I a am, four to fiver i'm a six yeah sometimes i get up to six it depends yeah. how long i'm partying for and it depends it depends where i am and what the context is because if it's free alcohol i'm definitely going for six if i have to pay for it i'm probably not going above four i had five glasses of wine last night <laughs> i love so, wine i, love I do too wine. so that's like a bottle and starting on the second bottle yeah so i yeah i need a we we like to drink it's okay it's okay it's not the hard stuff right (laughs) yeah at least i'm not drinking whiskey anymore i can't imagine what my body would feel like then but hey guys thanks for joining us today on the altacast uh latoya you're amazing so thank you you so much for being here go to the doctor well i'm gonna go to the bathroom right now man (laughs) uh and just to let everybody know uh out there in mutiny radio land if you guys want to donate to us, we have a new uh, donation page under a new group called, uh, it's uh, pan- It's a weird word. Let me tell you guys what it is. Uh, go to, we'll go to our Facebook and it's right there, but uh, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. 
and uh, it's for artists that are looking for funding for their projects. So we're definitely looking for funds for Mutiny Radio, and you guys can go there and donate to us online. Uh, we're trying to get together enough money to clean the malware off of our Amadeus computer to get a new computer for our iTunes uh, and to get new XLR cables and to, to run, get new microphones, all that kind of stuff. So go to patreon.com and be our patron and help us out here at Mutiny Radio. And we will uh, talk to you guys next week here on the AltaCast. Bye. Bye. Tell me what food relieves insomnia, anxiety, stress, chronic brain, depression, nausea, and can induce euphoria and stimulate appetite? I'm going to guess waffles. <laughs> that is incorrect. <laughs> Actually, Alex, the food I'm talking about are cannabis-based medicinal extracts. Cannabis-based medicinal extracts? That sounds like you're smoking drugs, Ed. No, baby. There are smokeless, safe, and less expensive alternative to smoke. But can I use it to sleep? Yes, baby! Good, because I'm so excited by this that I may never sleep again! And it sounds like you, Alex, may want to check out the number 4altacalifornia.com. That's 4altacalifornia.com for a non-addictive, pharmaceutical-free alternative to smoking medical marijuana. Check them out today at number 4altacalifornia.com. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit face McRat. <laughs> Yeah, you. You look like the kind of person who has a sense of humor. Oh, is, is the radio talking to me? No, I'm on an internet podcast. I, I'm talking to an internet podcast? Don't be silly. It's a one-way form of communication. But I don't want you to miss out on the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2016 from March 2nd through 6th. And you don't have to. You can buy tickets now on universe.com with 24 national and international visiting comedians and 20 local hosts. You won't want to miss a thing. What if I can't be at every show? Don't worry. All shows will be available for free download at mutinyradio.fm until the internet falls apart. Oh, podcast god, I can't wait to listen to all these great comedy shows and everything else that's cool at mutinyradio.fm before the internet falls apart. 
You too won't want to miss a bit of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival from March 2nd through 6th, 2016. Buy tickets now. Brought to you by Subliminal SF, PBR, The Eagle SF, Brainwash Cafe, Asiento, and the great people at Alta California Botanicals. Have you heard of Subliminal SF? Visual and auditory mind control. Graphic design, physical merchandise, live music promotions. Go! www.subliminalsf.com for the most amazing t-shirts you've ever seen. Graphic design for every need and live music promotion at some of the best bars in San Francisco. That's Subliminal SF, visual and auditory mind control. Go to subliminalsf.com now. Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's deep in the Mission District where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere five dollars every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because five dollars, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere five dollars is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So then all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. (laughs) Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Well, shit. From time to time, I've given it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's joke workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! <laughs> 
The dictionary definition of the adjective eclectic is selecting or choosing from various sources. When Bay Area musician J.D. Buell brings you Morning Train Wednesday, 10 a.m. to noon on Mutiny Radio, that is exactly what he does. Select music from various sources to give you a unique listening experience. Rock, pop, jazz, bluegrass, gospel, funk, reggae, folk, blues, country and western, electronica, soul, disco, rhythm and blues, punk and post-punk come together with music from around the world with Buell's passionate and down-to-earth delivery. In an age of personal music delivery systems, J.D. Buell carries on the values of progressive FM radio when a listener could actually have a relationship with a programmer, someone who would create an eclectic musical environment wherein both listener and host find fulfillment. The Morning Train with J.D. Buell, Wednesday, 10 to noon on mutinyradio.fm. Freeform radio for free minds. Did you know that compact fluorescent light bulbs use 60% less energy than regular light bulbs? And that each one saves about 300 pounds of carbon dioxide a year? If all Americans switched to CFLs, we would save more than 90 billion pounds of carbon dioxide. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Muni Radio in San Francisco. That's boom, that's boom, that's boom, that's boom. 